This is episode number 18 of Under 10, a mini podcast on intimacy with Dr. Jessica Tartaro. That's me. Last week, I talked about using a timer to create time limits around the vulnerable parts of life, including makeouts and sexy time, as a way to bring us more present and alive. This week, I want to demystify grief and make a connection between grief and pleasure that you may not have realized. I'm going to start by telling you the story of my discovery of the practice of grieving in community. So I'm no stranger to grief. I've lost many loved ones, including my mother when I was young. I was in my 20s, already a couple of years into therapy, when I first encountered the torrents of tears buried in my emotional body. They had a force to them, and they seemed to have a singular desire to get out of me. I was lucky enough at the time to be working with a therapist who could support me in this release. Though I began grieving somewhat early, I never thought to share it. My initial grieving experiences were private, shared only with my therapist and that amazing Tracy Chapman song, The Promise, from 1995, that I would play on repeat while I sobbed alone in my grad school apartment. Fast forward to 2018, when I moved from Dallas, Texas, to the Pacific Northwest, and on a Sunday in early May, attended my first communal grief lodge. The man I had moved here to date had encouraged me to try it out and then also conveniently broke up with me, giving me extra incentive. I remember when the morning of the grief lodge uh, arrived, I was scrambling to come up with any excuse not to attend. I was too tired. I was running late. I wasn't ready. I was honestly scared of the notion of being seen in my grief. But because I had committed, I slowly pointed my car in the direction of Marrowstone Island, the nearby lush and languid home of the local grieving circle. Once everyone had arrived, we gathered in a circle. There were about 25 of us in the center of a beautiful, rustic, woodcrafted home with a tiny kitchen on one side and a space on the other adorned with the sacred items we had all brought. It was a sunny spring day. I remember feeling very nervous. We went around the circle and said our names and briefly why we were there. I was struck by the courage of the group and also by the courage that when it was my turn flowed out of my own mouth despite my nerves. The grief leaders guided us in movement and song as one of them, an elder white man with a warm, booming voice, drummed a steady beat. Then we broke into triads and each took 10 minutes to tell more of our story. I remember feeling supported and validated. When we returned to the main circle, it was time to build the grief altar. The group mobilized rapidly, gathering boughs from the yard, candles, flowers, and cloths. Laid out in front of the apex of the altar was a row of cushions like tiny beds. What happened next changed my life. The drummers, a short line of them gathered across the room from the altar, began to drum, a steady, assertive beat. 
And the woman who was orchestrating the event with her clear, lilting voice guided us in song, a song we sang over and over as the drums beat on and on. As the sound, song, and beat coalesced, the collective began to dance, and one by one, people would burst open, descend upon the cushions at the altar, and begin to grieve. As we had been shown, someone would follow the griever to the altar and stand behind them, hands up, palms faced out to get their back. No one went to the altar alone. Each person did it in their own way. Some sat and swayed and shook. Many wailed, though their cries could barely be heard above the wall of sound that afforded them privacy. Some stayed for many minutes. Some came and went. When my own chest began to heave, I looked around, wondering what people might think, wondering how I'd gotten there, and wondering if I let my wave break, if I might ever reemerge from the depths of my sorrows. But I willed my feet to move to the altar, flung myself down upon the thin cushion, and found myself in a row of grievers. I've never been able to cry when others were crying. From a young age, my tears would dry up when others were hurting, only willing to release when I knew I wouldn't take up too much space. But there I was, next to these beautiful souls in agony. And for a moment, I felt the shut-off valve activate. But I also remembered the advice of the facilitators to move my body on my hands and knees like a wave was moving through to encourage the feelings to arise. And as I did, I found my wails. My body cooked as hot tears flowed and sweat moistened my arms, legs, and neck. My brain scrambled to understand what was going on but the force of the room's commitment to grieving took me into its current, and I let go. When my sobs eventually stopped, I left the cushion, rejoined the dancers, and moved in rhythm with a new buoyancy, my face streaked with tears and my eyes clear. We went on like this for an hour and a half until it was at last time to stop. We rested, ate, shared a harvest of reflections, and together cleaned up the space. I left changed. Since that first experience, I've been back to the Grief Lodge four more times over the last two years. This past year, I participated in three online grief events and will be attending another soon. I've come to believe deeply in the power of communal grieving, and in a weird way, I now crave it even though it's still hard for me, but I know that in the company of others, I can let go of what I couldn't release alone. So, what does all of this have to do with feeling pleasure? Well, there's a direct way and an indirect way that grief and pleasure are intimately related. In a direct way, as you probably realize if you've been following my podcasts, all of our emotions the anxiety, the rage, the courage, the sadness, the turn-on, and the pleasure all come from the same place, the same heart, the same emotional body. 
An accounting is always underway inside of how much our feelings are flowing versus blocked. If your channel is blocked by unmetabolized grief, your capacity for pleasure will be limited. And I'm telling you, if you're a human with a heartbeat and you have lived all the way to 2021, you have unmetabolized grief. Moving grief means you have more room for pleasure. The more I cry, the more I come. You can quote me on that. But there's an indirect way too. At the center of grief, when it's unfettered pain flowing out, lives an involuntary intelligence. Something else takes over. And if you can surrender to it, and if you're looking for it, there is pleasure. Grieving asks for a breaking open surrender. The free flow of grief can bestow upon you a kind of bliss, a cleanse that is its own form of orgasm. I dare you to stop resisting your grief. Let it flow, and from inside of the downpour, look for the pleasure on purpose. I have a feeling you may be surprised. For this week's homework, there are two parts. First, pick a song that helps you cry. I will include suggestions in the episode resources. Then create the space like we did at the lodge. Light a candle, turn off devices, and let the song play. Breathe deeply and invite a let go to come out with your exhale. Let your muscles drop deeply into the couch or bed or chair. You might even get on your hands and knees and rock like I did at the grief lodge. Even if no tears come, you are telling yourself, I'm making space for my grief. The second part is to consider joining an online collective grief circle. There are options in the episode resources. Please check them out. The more of us that grieve, the more pleasure and wisdom can flow in the world. Things we deeply need more of. This is Dr. Jessica Tartaro with Under 10, a mini podcast on intimacy. Oh, oh, oh.